Hey, Stoop listeners, I want to tell you about another podcast that I think you might like. It's called Love Letters. It's hosted by Boston Globe advice columnist Meredith Goldstein. Love Letters tells real stories about dating, relationships, and falling in love. The theme of the new Love Letters season is Thanks for Your Help. You'll hear heartwarming stories about the many different ways people get crucial help or assistance in their romantic lives. From friends, relatives, therapists, even exes. Love Letters from the Boston Globe and PRX. New episodes available now wherever you get your podcasts. I came here, we had $2,000 in our bank account, we had a job, but we had community. And I now live in Amsterdam. Hey, hello. Hey, Leela. Okay, so there are a million and one reasons to want to get away right now. Um, You know, we're not talking about breaking away to travel after a lockdown. My name is Nolika Radway. I'm a mother. I'm a creator. I'm a writer. Mm -mm. We're talking about packing up your life to go live in another country. And that was one person who did that, Nolika. Someone else who's flown far away is Natalie Gill. I didn't have like direct family or couldn't like pick my ancestry straight to Ghana, but it, it just felt like I was in the right place at the right time. Two people, both moving abroad, one to Europe, the other to Africa. Both of them are fed up, but also both of them are ready for a challenge. But that challenge comes with a lot of baggage, too. <laughs> Get it? Baggage. You be tripping, Leela. <laughs> Let's stoop this out. The stoop. The stoop. The stoop. Stories from across the Black diaspora that we need to talk about. My cousins were water and grease girls, and I couldn't be a water and grease girl. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about, ballerina in the hood. We be Gullah anointed people. When a black woman walks up to the desk in labor, what preconceived notions do you have about her? I didn't even know we had a hair shark. So there are a lot of people moving, and we're talking out of the country moving. Today we're going to talk to a couple of them, and these are people that packed it all up and they decided they wanted to get the hell out of the United States. I was like, wow, I'm finally here. I'm home. I have this connection or feeling of a connection to the continent, even though I didn't didn't know anybody there. Two stories of leaving it all behind and confronting questions and challenges about their privilege, their patience, and what it really means to have a connection to a place. I actually did my ancestry. I did my African ancestry test and my ancestry test and my roots are in like West Africa. Natalie grew up in Massachusetts. And when she went to Ghana as a student, she said she knew she was home and that she wanted to go back and live in Africa. Then there's Nolika. 
I'm African-American. Like, like I'm black. I consider myself black. I'm black American. Um, that is part of my identity. My children are black American. But I'm very, very much Jamaican. Nolika grew up in the Bronx. She raised her three kids, mostly in Brooklyn. And it became very clear to her that she needed to get out. Let me guess. Was it around the 2016 election? The presidential race CNN projects. Donald Trump wins the presidency. I think it like alarm bells went off for us where we're just like, mm, this isn't working. Like the life we want for ourselves, like how we want to be, where we saw things headed. So Nilika said she was watching a TV show, The Handmaid's Tale. You know that one, Hannah? I know of it, but I do not dare watch it. Hey, why is it just the women? I don't have a choice. Roger, Roger. It's based on a book where the U.S. becomes this totalitarian state and no one can leave and it's run by the elite. Oh, so she was that scared that she thought that could happen in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, she didn't know what the future would look like. We just knew we wanted to be somewhere else. Like, it was like, I want to get my freedom now. Like, I want to be as free and as open, have as many opportunities as possible now. So let's start with Natalie. When I I graduated from high school, I knew I wanted to, you know, study and learn more and like focus on that because I felt like I'd been cheated my whole school career. So Natalie started thinking about living in the motherland. I started reading like, the autobiography of Malcolm X, Sister Soldier, No Disrespect, Nathan McCall Makes Me Want to Holler, the history of ancient African civilization. And she had this mentor who was telling her things like, do you know that you come from greatness? And, you know, kings and queens and ancient civilizations that, you know, built our modern science and technology. So that's when Natalie first went to Ghana in college when she was feeling that connection to her Blackness. I was like, wow, I'm finally here, I'm home. Like, I have this connection or feeling of a connection to the continent, even though I didn't know anybody there. You know, I didn't have like direct family or couldn't like pick my ancestry straight to Ghana, but it just felt like I was in the right place at the right time. One of the stories that I can share that kind of gave me a reality check about that feeling of (laughs) belonging um, is when, you know, I met some students on campus and they kind of made me feel like I didn't belong. I was taking this English class and there was a conversation between me and some Ghanaian students and they asked me, you know, what are you doing here? Why did you even come here? You Black Americans. I don't even know why you call yourself African Americans. There's nothing African about you. Okay, wait, Leela. I remember you telling me that you heard literally those same words. We talked about this in a previous episode. I was in Kenya. It was a very similar experience to Natalie, where another college student said, you know, there's nothing African about you. And I said, I'm African-American. And that, that was when I started to shift to just being Black. Yep, I knew I heard that somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's a similar story. Mm-hmm. But that experience didn't sway her at all, actually. And we'll come back to Natalie in a bit. But let's go to Nolika. I just feel like I 
feel a little Dutch now. You know what I mean? Like I'm just constantly, I'm where I am and I'm embracing all of what that looks like. How people receive us is a whole other story. So for Nolika in Amsterdam, remember she was saying earlier that she wasn't feeling the U.S. She felt like it was going downhill, especially after the 2016 election. Yeah, so Nolika is one of those people who said, I am getting out of the country, and then actually did it. Yeah, and so Nolika thought about leaving the country a lot. And she has three children. Her kids are all artists. They're all very open and very talented kids. And she wanted them to all feel, you know, just free. And so first she tried moving back to Jamaica, where her and her husband have roots. My children are not used to being talked down to by adults, by men, by anybody. Um, And so going to spaces where they were like, their gender was determining how people interacted with them. I remember I put them in camp because like, we're gonna live here now. So you're gonna have to like, let's figure out how we be with, how we're gonna be with other kids and how we're gonna make this work. And, they came home like after the first day of camp and they were just like in tears. Not even that anybody did anything particularly to them, but they just felt the weight of the culture, like having to perform, having to conform, having to like squish themselves in ways that didn't feel good for them. She loves Jamaica, has a lot of family there, but when she first attempted to move back there, she started to realize it wasn't the best fit for her three kids. I realized like I couldn't raise three queer children in that space in a way that would feel good to me. Um, You know, I always say as soon as I get off the plane in Jamaica and we travel there often, the misogyny just like slaps you in the face. Like literally when you land, you get to customs and you're like, all right, this is where I am. And not to say those things don't exist, exist in the U.S. too. Of course, they're ev- it's everywhere. But it, 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 it stings in a way, maybe because Jamaica is our home, um, and it, that it, it wasn't tenable to us. Like, we just couldn't make that work. So she kept thinking about where she could finally land. And wherever it was, she said she wanted to be in a place where there weren't any blackouts and there was running water. She'd been around that before, and, and, you know, she didn't want that anymore. Yeah, I wanted a lifestyle. Yeah, like, what the fuck? I've been struggling. <laughs> like, this is like, I'm black in America. I, I, I know the struggle. I was not looking. I didn't want that for myself, and I don't want that for my children. Like, we have to struggle enough. Like, we're going to have to struggle. Um, that's just not what I wanted. That's Yeah, I was not looking to struggle in that way. So she did some more digging, and was looking for places open to artists, open to queerness, more racial diversity, places where her three kids would thrive. And she found Facebook groups talking about where Black people feel welcome. And she had one place in mind, one place that kept sticking out, Amsterdam. So let's go back to Natalie. Every time she traveled to Africa, It was bringing her closer and closer to that thing she was feeling, that feeling of connection to her roots. And she wasn't living in one place for too long. She was traveling a lot from country to country. Kenya and Ghana and Uganda and Ethiopia. And she was learning even more about what it means to be Black 
with every trip she took. I started to understand the difference between, you know, saying African-American versus Black American because the term African-American is a very American thing. When you go to African countries, like no one ever calls me African-American, they call me Black American. Because to call me African-American would, you know, it would be kind of like accepting me into the club that I don't belong in. And so Natalie is having all these conversations about Blackness in general, and that included stereotypes that the Ghanaians had about Black Americans. She had some heated, deep conversations. It's like they heard some craziness in the news, like you you all and calling each other all these bad names and the videos and drug dealers. And they just had all of the kind of negative stereotypes. They were throwing out at me and I was just sitting there listening, like, you know, and and, and then it kind of ended, why did you come here? And I said, you know what? The same way that you get limited in bad media about what it means to be black American, I also get bad media and limited information about what it means to be Ghanaian or African. There's a lot of people that are in the US that still think you don't wear clothing, you live in huts and, and play with animals all day. And so, I knew that that was not true. And so the reason why I'm here is so that I can discover and find that truth from the mouths of the people that live it, you know? And so they were kind of like taken aback and like, oh, you know, and I was like, and I hope that you give me the opportunity to share some truth with you of what it means to be black American, because although some of the things you mentioned exist, that does not represent the majority of the people, you know, I think we need to get to know each other so we can kind of bridge that divide. So on one side, she's feeling sort of distanced because she's not fully being accepted. Yeah. And wherever she went, a lot of the time she had to prove her Americanness because she was Black. When I was in Zambia, nobody believed or thought I was American because all Americans are white or that's kind of the go-to assumption of, you know, what America, Americans look like. Um, and so I kind of struggled with that. You know, there was this kind of sense of invisibility. But then when you open your mouth, people can tell that you're not from here, that you're different. That's Michael Oshindoro. He's an African studies scholar at the University of Wisconsin. There's something to think about here when we're talking about, you know, African-Americans and their experience abroad. And one is this cultural connection, which is beautiful and it's strong and it's very important. Um, So it's like you're relocating these people in their natural um, habitats. But the question is, how do these African-Americans want to be recognized when they get to Africa? Michael's been breaking down all of this for a while and really trying to dissect this connection and the divide. And he says a lot of this is a conversation to be had around trying to find home, a search for home. I see images of people um, who went to those slave castles in Ghana, for example, um, took pictures, um, many cried because of the memories that those places, um, those places evoke. Um, but the images that you see are people like Steve Harvey, uh, Maurice Kojo, and all of these people. But those guys are 
permanently planted in America. He's talking about the African Americans who went to Ghana as part of the year of return. So in 2019, the government of Ghana held this year of return where they invited African Americans to come to Ghana on like a birthright trip. They said to connect and so they could invest in the country. And they granted citizenship, Ghanaian citizenship, to more than 100 African Americans. And it's also reminiscent of the journeys of somebody like W.E.B. Du Bois to Ghana, um, George Padmore, this, this Pan-Africanist of the 1960s and 19, uh, Gavi, Marcus Gavi and co. So this, this kind of festivals reminds us of those past um, historical events. But until the Year of Return program, African diaspora in Ghana were considered, you know, tourists. A journey to Ghana or any part of Africa should, should have no other name than a return home. So Michael says there are a lot of Black people that come to Africa for good reasons, right? And he doesn't discount that. But he he also worries about some of the motives to save Africa. I think this is closely closely related to the notion of romanticized Africa is what they believe as the erroneous uh, uh, assumption that Africa is a backward continent. They're also playing into the narrative that has always been there through the racist um, connotation that Africa has gotten from their European um, colonial masters. Michael also talks about the way Africans, just average Africans, see this year of return. And he says the reactions have been varied. There is a question of respect, you know. And I think one way that we can begin to appreciate it better, there's a word called akata. Akata is, you know, akata, so that's a word that I hear a lot in Nigeria. And um, it, it does not have a positive connotation, you know, and it is specifically used to describe African-Americans. So akata comes back again. It's a Yoruba term. We've heard it before. We brought it up before right here on the stoop. Yeah, so it's definitely not a positive term. Um, it's used to call people like culturalists and wild. So um, many people would say, you better be careful. You know, you better be careful. And um, so that is just them talking about African-Americans at a distance. So imagine African-Americans living with them, them, living within that community where they're using um, Akata. There is that unspoken rift between us. And I think we cannot transcend that gap without having interacted with each other. And um, programs like this help us to meet each other, help us to relate. So I think that the error is in thinking that you can only have one home. I think that is where the error is. Home is never one place. Hi, I'm Krishan Wright, proud mama of two, avid solo traveler, and happily untethered single lady. So let's take a minute to talk about this movement 
to move abroad. Krishan Wright is a digital marketer from New York City, and she's host of the podcast Blacksit Global. It's this source for Black people who want to move out of the U.S. Krishan has this huge community of all African Americans who are moving or have moved to another country, and they all kind of hash it out together. Three years ago, I went on my first overseas trip to New Zealand, and it literally changed my life. I fell in love with the people, the culture, and the country's rich history. I did things on that trip I would never attempt to do in the States, because that was the first time I had been embraced as a human being versus them being judged on the color of my skin. Because and Krishan says a lot of people in her group talk about wanting to get away from U.S. racism and racist institutions. You've heard the term. Now be inspired by the movement. Welcome to Blacksit Global. The impetus for Blacksit Global was born out of frustration, anger, and hmm, a lot of negative energy that was building up following the tragic deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and feeling trapped. And Krishan, she's been feeling these things too. I knew I was falling into this trap of not sleeping, not eating, being very anxious, and realizing that I needed to channel and redirect that negative energy into something positive. And my thought was, if I'm feeling this way, then maybe there are other people who are feeling the same way and looking for community. So as Krishan is planning her own Blacksit from the United States, she's helping other folks think about what they need to prepare. And so they talk about finances, they talk about job opportunities, but she says there's this one big thing. I would say the biggest thing is to work on their mindset. You know, on its own, a Blacksit is not going to solve your problems. And we all know anti-Blackness exists in the world. Krishan says people have a responsibility to the Black people who live in these newly adopted countries, too. You know, whether it be highlighting the issues with the Aboriginal people in Australia and a lot of the injustices that they faced, particularly the stolen generations, to what's going on in present-day Nigeria with NSARS. I could have easily just done a travel show about Black people going to different lands, and that's it. But we talk about, you know, the, the tough issues, and we don't shy away from that. We're going back to Nolika. Moving to Amsterdam, remember? Well, okay, she says this decision was really about her feeling grounded. I'm not trying to find community. Like, I'm not trying to find, like, I do want community here, but I'm not trying to find my identity within the context of this nation. And if you're trying to find your identity within the context of any nation, of course you're invested in it being better. Why are you leaving? And I left not trying to find something somewhere else. I left trying to figure out where I could just be and live the life I want to live. And this is something that's really different between Nolika and Natalie's initial journey, you know, to move abroad. 
One of the differences that Nolika's been noticing is just how our kids have been acclimating. My daughters who are in high school, their classmates come from Ghana, um, India, Portugal, <laughs> Brazil. Like, it looks like, I always say, like, it looks like Degrassi. Like, it, it's, it, I will send you a picture. It is the most interesting. And they're just learning Pakistan, like, and, you know, Iraq. And they're just learning, like, these different cultures are in space with it. But a lot of stuff came up, especially around the holidays. So something that came up particularly is in Amsterdam, they celebrate this holiday called Sinterklaas. It was something a lot of her Black friends kept on warning her about. Everyone who I've met, like all of the Black, because mostly people we engage with are Black people, I'm like, yeah, it's working out really well for us. And they're like, wait till December, wait till December. And I was like, okay, wait till December. So December came, December came, December came. So part of the holiday of Santa Claus is similar white man, ho, 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 Santa Claus shit. But their white man, instead of having like elves as like people, has a black slave that um, follows him and helps him like take care of the like give gifts out of it has iterated right they keep reinventing it like it's not a slave he's a friend and and he you know they just keep trying to change the story but the original narrative was his name is black pete zwart pete and if you were naughty zwart pete kidnapped your ass and took you back to spain they have tried to like change that narrative and we, um, we uh, girls and I, we often talk about like, well, what are the elves? Are they slaves? Like what exactly? They, that might be problematic too. But regardless, Santa Claus is coming. Part of it is like all the all these people put blacks, blackface on and m- walk around the city like nothing. Like you in Amsterdam, you'll be walking around during this holiday and see children, adults, fake Afros, blackface. Just laughing, like, hey, hey, hey. You go into chocolate shops, they got all kinds of um, mammies and sambo, like all kinds of minstrel caricatures, chocolates that they're selling. It's just like, ha ha, we're doing it. It's the holidays. Celebrate. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so my kids were distraught. So they came home and they were very upset. Like, they were very upset about it. And I do what I do. I was like, I contact the school. So Nolika reaches out to the teacher. She's amazing. She loves her. She's amazing. I just reached out to her and I was like, please do not show any more of this Black Pete. It's offensive and it's like hurtful to my child. And she was like, absolutely, no problem. Shut it down. So this moment that Nolika is talking about, this moment where they shut it down, it's something that she keeps thinking about when she thinks about how they've been received as a Black family in Amsterdam. I want to just give credit to, there is a strong anti-racist black power movement in Amsterdam. So the teacher ended up emailing her, telling her that she took it very seriously and it would not happen again. And for Nolika, she says it felt like the conversations around racial issues are so embarrassing for so many people that they start to go out of their way to make sure, you know, that they squash these issues. I hear black people say this a lot of like, they're in their infancy of understanding race and how it it like shows itself in interactions in society. And at the same time, because they're just beginning and they're beginning from a place of like, 
grabbing on to things really quickly, um, it's also moving much faster. So what's really different for Nalika is that she actually feels like she's viewed there as being in a position of knowing. And she, you know, she has like a privilege because she's had these lived experiences. And that really seems to matter for her and it makes a huge difference. We did not leave the U.S. thinking we're not going to struggle with race anymore. Like, let's go find a place where we're not going to struggle with race anymore. We left the U.S. so that we could have the capacity to struggle with race in ways that isn't depleting to all of who we are as people. So let's go back to Natalie. So Natalie, she lived in different countries in Africa, but right now, because of her work, she's living in Ethiopia. People are kind and generous. Um, I feel like there's this caution to the friendliness. She came to Ethiopia because she was stationed here for her work with the Peace Corps. You know, people are friendly, but not always friendly and welcoming. Like, people will welcome you, like, in words, but I've I've hardly ever seen the inside of an Ethiop- Ethiopian home since I've been here. When I was in Zambia, I was invited to weddings, to funerals, to birth parties, to just to people's houses for dinner, coffee. That doesn't really happen here. She's in Ethiopia with her son, who's just three years old, and her husband. But she's feeling some distance there. You know, I think what they say, one of my staff has invite, has like a tentative invite to have. He's like, I've been wanting to have you over for dinner. And now the pandemic, it's been hard, but it's going to happen. You know, um, sometimes people are not comfortable sharing their home with you because they feel like you might judge them or you know, think poorly of them. I definitely feel like a foreigner here. But when we think about both of these stories, you know, these very different choices about the places they chose to make home, you know, they've just been processing so much. I mean, everything from not feeling fully accepted like Natalie was to trying to adjust to a racist Santa Claus? Yeah, but what it's really coming down to for both of them, Hana, is is how they're seeing their kids adjust and, and seeing it through the lens of what's bringing them joy. My son has had such a great experience here. He gets to play and make friends with people from all walks of life and kind of grow up in this space where he can just be himself. Um, and I, you know, also with all the things that are going on in the United States and, um, you know, the, some of the police brutality that we've been seeing come up more and more in the news, I, you know, raising a young black boy in America is just scary to me. And for Nolika, we just got a dog. Like we, we're real Dutch. Like we, like we went, we like, it's real. It's so real. It's so real. But if you're trying to find that identity there and you feel like that needs to be home, you're going to struggle. The same is true in Amsterdam. I think the same is going to be true in Ghana. The same is going to be true anywhere you're going to and you're trying to find home, 
you are at a disadvantage <laughs> because unfortunately it's home like my home is here with my people like my home is with you when we're just talking and shooting the shit about like what we believe my community exists outside of the borders of um countries and oceans and states and like all of it and so i'm full in that way That's The Stoop. The Stoop family includes sound designer Seth Samuel, associate producer Natalie Parrott, music by Daoud Anthony, and episode art by Nima Iyer. Support for The Stoop comes from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the NEH. Find them at calhum.org. Special thanks to the NPR Story Lab. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Stoop Podcast. And if you love these stories and you love what you're hearing, you want to support Black storytelling, then go to thestoop.org and you can find our donate button there. We got a new donate button. Push it. Click it. Love it. (laughs) Bye. Radiotopia. 